Shalom Obracha. We're continuing <coughs> with where we left off. First of all, Chodesh Tov. It's uh, Kislev. So it's a very up month of Chizuk and light and everything. Visit Hashem and Chanukah. So uh, we're continuing with where we left off and now going into detail into each chapter of the Tikkun Aklali, what represents. I mentioned in the last class that this edition of the Tikkun Aklali, the one who put it together, he put in brackets the name of the song which corresponds to the chapter of the Tehillim. Now, I also said that there are best of elders who disagree with this because Rabbeinu didn't say clearly what is what, but we in the last class we showed that the way Rabbeinu set the ten types of song and it's again a specific order. He could have done all the ones from Tehillim and then all the ones from Mishle and do all the ones in Eov, but he added a seder where he's jumping around and the seder fits in perfectly with the seder, the order there on the Tikkun HaKlali. So it does make sense that we can make a match between the type of Nigun and the actual chapter and from that learn details of the quality of the, of the Nigun. So we did that with, with the first chapter. Mikhtam le David, Tedzain, which you said corresponds to Bracha, Bracha corresponds to Bina, and then you get more details from the actual psalm of the characteristics of how to tap in the actual character of Bracha, which, which you said is humility, Anava, we said that, okay? Now we're going into the next chapter, Lamid Bet, the second chapter of the Tikkun Aklali, which corresponds to Ashrei, because Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman, he brings the first verse of this chapter as the proof that the type of melody called Ashrei rectifies the covenant. The verse is the David Maskil, right? Ashrei Nesui Pesha Kesui Chata'ah. So the David Maskil to David an enlightening song and we explained already Maskil in detail what it, what, how, what it translates as fortunate Ashrei Nesui Pesha is the one who's rebellious acts worse than mezid, worse than intentional sins. His rebellious blemishes and, and transgressions are lifted up and covered up and considered as a regular chet. So we, Rabbeinu in lesson Reishe 205, he points out that Ashrei Nesui Pesha, the first letters, Aleph, Nun, Pe, that's Niuf, that's immorality. And immorality, what type of immorality? Pesha, where it's worse than intentional. That's how bad it is. And yet, uh, he reads it, Rabbeinu Ashrei, the power of Ashrei, is that Nesui Pesha, removes the Pesha, and transforms it to maximum Achata'a, which is an unintentional sin, a Shogeg, which what's needed there is just regret to overcome it, Bezat Hashem. Kesui Chata'a, okay? So, uh, Ashrei, we said, the Tikkun Ezor, the Kabbalah, says that Ashrei corresponds to Keter. Okay? Keter is Rosh Yud. Rosh Yud means what's above the head on top of Yud, which is Chokhmah. Yud in the Kabbalah is always Chokhmah. So this is how the Zohar says that Ashrei is the idea of Keter. Keter, believe it or not, is connected to sight. Rabbeinu also he explains that Ashrei is Milashon Ashurenu, to see. Okay? Ashurenu velo karov. It's a verse. Lashur in Hebrew means to see. And he says that fixes the blemish of sexual transgression which came about because of blemished eyes. 
Okay? So Ashrei fixes the blemished eyes. Okay? He says in lesson Reish Hay, he brings the source that sight is, is damaged and that she, the, the evil force of evil, has a grasp. Let's look at inside. I'm going to read it inside here. He says like this, Ki Ashrei hu lashon Ashrei means to see, sight. Hefech klipa, the opposite of the klipa, the evil force. We don't say her name, L-I-L-I-T-H. Sheikar kocham mikilkul The damage is caused by blemished sight. Mibichinat vatichena einav merot. Right, unbelievable. Vatichena, the timing is phenomenal. This week's parsha, unbelievable. Toldot. Vatichena einav merot. His eyes were dimmed from sight. Yitzchak's eyes were dimmed. He couldn't see. Okay, we have to see what's what's the thing here. And he says merot is bivchinot yehi meerot chaser. From seeing, the word is the same letters as a curse. Mem Aleph Reish He is a curse. And Mem Reish Aleph He is to see. So the Midrash says that his sight was damaged. Where did that come from? Where did Yitzchak's damaged eyes come from? The Pshat we know that at the time of the Akedah, when he was about to be sacrificed by his father, the angels were looking and their tears fell in his eyes and that's what made his, his sight dimmed. But the Midrash brings further what led to that to happen, that, that, that damage to take place was something before. What was before? The Midrash is something unbe- unbelievable. But I need a chumash for parashat, uh, 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 last week's parsha or the parsha of Avimelech and Sarah. That was Vayera. Parshat Vayera. So look at Parshat Vayera. Thanks. It says in Vayera that Avimelech wanted to touch Rivka, right? And Hashem came to him in the dream and said, You know, you're going to die? Sorry, 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 sorry. Right. Okay. And Hashem told Avimelech, You're going to die because you wanted to touch Sarah. Okay. So, so he convinced Hashem, Okay, you know. We're gonna we'll 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 we'll, we'll do tshuva, and I'm 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 gonna show, and he said Hashem said okay so go to Avram Avinu and he's gonna daven. He said will he believe me? Of course he'll believe you because he's a navi, he's a prophet. He knows you didn't touch his wife. He knows he knows from Rocha Kodesh. So Avram Avimelech, in order to show to appease Sarah, he gave a lot of money as a gift. Okay, so it says like this, um, right? After giving the gifts, right? Avimelech took tzon, right? Sheep, cattle, slaves, maidservants, and he gave as a gift to Avraham. And he gave back Sarah, his wife, also to Avraham on all these gifts, right? And, and he said to Avraham, My land is open to you. Sit wherever you want. And then Avimelech said to Sarah, I gave thousand silver coins to, to your brother. Who's your brother? The one you called your brother. Because Avram told that she's my sister, right? So <laughs> saying, I'm following your expression. I gave a thousand coins of silver to appease you to your brother. This will be for you a cover up of the eyes. For everything, to everything that you have, 
ואת כל ונוכח עצמי, כן פרוב, אבל אני לא נתתי אותך, you know, to give you back, so it should show you that I didn't do anything. Because now, if I would just let you go like this for free, people say, ah, after he abused her, then he gives her back. That I had to put out money, comes to show you that I, did, I didn't do anything, and, I, and I, I'm scared to do something, okay? So the Midrash says that by giving all this gift, this money, he actually put Ayn Hara into Sarah's future child. Because his wording is, all the money I gave will be a cover-up of the eyes. What does it mean, cover-up of the eyes? You wouldn't let me touch you, okay? Because I wanted to, but I, I was refrained from doing so. So you don't. Sorry, you don't let me see your. You, you see you. You don't let me see how you look and everything. Your beauty. So because you did not let me see you, I'm putting Ayn Hara in your child, your son Yitzchak, who will have Ksut and Ayn. His eyes will be covered up. So that's what he's saying. I'm give this money, but his money is coming with like a hidden curse. She didn't catch the curse that he said. Here's this money. The Pshat Rashi says, it's Ksut Enayim. This will cover up the eyes of everybody. He didn't touch her, didn't touch her. In those words, he hid the curse. It's going to be a cover up for the eyes. You didn't let me see you. Because yeah, this is before Avimelech did Tshuva still, okay? Or he did Tshuva, but it, there's still something wrong with Avimelech's Tshuva. It wasn't 100%. He's, but he said, the Midrash says, it's going to cover up the eyes of your son, okay? So that's the idea. So here, Rabbeinu is referring to this Midrash. Rabbeinu here, he's saying, right? So, the Midrash says on these words, his eyes were dimmed. Why were his eyes dimmed? Due to the Ayn Hara that Avimelech put into Sarah, but by the money that he gave as an appeasement, he hid in it an evil eye to cause damage, okay? So that's what he's saying here, Rabbeinu, here, it's referring to Yitzchak. Yitzchak symbolizes Gvura. Gvura is a holy attribute, but God forbid, if used improperly, it's a source of punishment and damage. Okay? So, You see, it says, it's, This is a verse from the creation of the luminaries on the fourth day on Wednesday in Bereshit. So, it's written without a vav. Okay, the, the Rashi brings down that that's referring to a curse is made on the, a day that we have to daven, especially for children that they don't get sick from a disease called Askerah. It's a type of a, a, a breathing respiratory disease. And in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, when you had the Ma'amadot, you had the Jews doing parts of reading and fasting, and you had the Levim and the Kohanim and the Beit HaMikdash offering the sacrifice, the Levim singing, so you had all three involved. Part of the Ma'amadot of the Israelites was to fast. And when it came to, the, to their, their devotion on Wednesday, it included davening and fasting that Jewish children should not get sick with a me'era, this curse. That's, so Rashi says that's the idea of a curse. The Zohar says more than that. Yehi me'orot, me'era, chaser, is referring to the klipa herself. Da, lamed yud, lamed yud tav. She's the one who causes the Jewish children to be lost. So now, that Rabbi Nachman saying, Jewish children being lost due to this klipa is synonymous with also blemishes of the Brit also, where actual potential Jewish children are also lost, God forbid. She's the one in charge of all this, and he's connecting it that me'era is a curse. And Yitzhak's eyes were dimmed because of the curse of Avimelech. It was a curse he put in. It was Ayn Hara, but it was a curse. It'll be for you, Ksut In these words, 
he put a me'era, a curse, to hurt Sarah's offspring, Yitzchak, to show that the curse of damaged sight affects the children, and it's coming from this side. It's a whole thing here, okay? I'm trying to get it as clear as possible in presentation. What Rabbeinu is saying is that there's damage in sight, whether it's the actual ta'ava, or also the damage done by the klipa herself of causing damaged sight, that there's a damaging of vision. So what's needed is to fix the vision. So he says, ashray is the exact opposite. Ashray means to see. Vision. So now, in the Kabbalah, Keter, the sphere of Keter, is considered a level above all the ten spherot. It shines its light all the way down to Malchut and then goes back up. It doesn't stay. What's, what's the idea? Every sphere, Chesed, Gvua, Tiferet, it has an impression and has a presence. Chesed is an attitude that you can grasp. Chesed is kindness, Gvua is restraint. Tiferet is a balance, okay? Netzach is to be is the right leg to be victorious. Hod is standing with strength, as we explained it. Fine, Malchut. Everything has an attribute that you can grasp and learn from. Keter is a light way beyond. There's no grasp. It's called the Orin Sof. It's the light of the Infinite One. You can't grasp it. So what does it do? The Kabbalah teaches that the Keter is a light. It shines down all the way to all the ten Sfirot giving them their nourishment, and then disappears. It goes back up. It comes down and goes back up. Okay? For tshuva, we saw, we're going to see, we mentioned already, that to do tshuva, a person has to return. Where is he returning to? He's returning back to Hashem. But how could you return to Hashem if Hashem is infinite? Hashem is infinite. How can I return back to Hashem? Tshuva is to come back to Hashem. But Hashem, you can't grasp Him either. So the tshuva process is involving a person's sight also, that I'm looking from down below up to Hashem. Just like the Keter, it shines its light and then goes back up. So also the Jewas on the bottom, he has to look back up to the Ein Sof. Even though he can't grasp it, he looks and then he gets back the message. Rabbeinu says in Lesson 65, how does vision work? Vision is amazing. Sight is amazing. You see something very far. How does it work? He says the eye sounds like a messenger. Sight is a messenger. Going from the eye all the way to the item, and then it hits the item, and then goes back to send the message to the person what he's seeing. It's phenomenal vision. It's not like, I automatically, everything is just open. No, there's a sending. It's very instant. It's instantaneous. It's that the mind sends the power of vision to hit the item which is in front of the person, and then goes back to the person to explain what it is. That's why he says, Rabbein, when you pass something very fast in front of a person, the vision caught it. The, 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 the messenger called sight caught the item, but because it was too fast, there wasn't enough time to send it back the message to the person's head that he can actually see what he saw. The real truth is, the nishama, which is impression of everything you see, has in it what you saw, even though I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but really, it was in front of me. I just, I, I didn't have enough time to get it, to, to grab it. In the future, when they show a person a video of his whole life, they say that's one of the things, is when after a person passes away, they show him a video of his entire life and they explain everything that happened. And in front of him are things that he saw, but he didn't pay attention to because it was too fast or he was preoccupied with thinking other things. But they're going to show a person exactly what he saw and to explain it. 
Because then there's time to show the video and explain every detail of what they saw. But now we see things, we don't even know that we saw it, or we don't even understand what we saw, fine? So this is the vision as it relates to Keter, just like Keter from above to down. It goes down and then goes right back up. It's like a yo-yo, whoop, it goes down to the lowest sphere of Malchut, and then it goes right back up. So like it leaves no uh, ex experience, uh, uh, ability to experience it. It gives, it feeds light to Malchut, it feeds Netzach, Hod, it, all the Sfirot they receive from the Keter. But in itself, it's beyond. Sight also is like that. Sight is seeing that I, I'm going now to, from, from where I am, my low place. He's saying the Tikkun of a person to do Tshuva is activating the melody called Ashrei. The melody called Ashrei activates the Keter for a person that he can do tshuva. Because Keter, we said, is the letters for karet. Someone who's so blemished, God forbid, he did the worst things possible, that he's deserving of being cut off. Excision, uh, excision and, and cutting off, whether it's losing children, whether it's dying young, or God forbid, losing the world to come. Being karet of, of, of Allah Mabach, all those are in the category of karet. And seemingly, there should be no tshuva for that. That's what Rabbi Nachman said, that no one understands the simple meaning of the Zohar. When the Zohar says that for blemishing the Brit, specific blemishes, there's no tshuva. Right? The Zohar says that. And Rabbi Nachman said, no one in the world understands this simple meaning of the Zohar except for me. And I say that tshuva always helps, no matter what. But the thing is, when you're doing tshuva, where are you looking to do tshuva? Where are you looking? So Rabbeinu is revealing here that if now your tshuva is aimed to return to Keter, then you can do a tshuva. But how do I grab it? I can't grab it. It's, that's the whole thing. That it's an ingraspable thing and a level. But what's needed from you is that you're looking at it. I'm looking, Ashrei, I'm looking at the Keter. That looking itself and yearning to connect is already enough to transform the, the Karet, the excision, into Keter. That's the power of the Tshuva. So that's why I have Rabbeinu reading this verse. Ashrei, the melody called Ashrei which corresponds to Keter, the strength, energy of Keter, which is this vision, this sight, which is ungraspable, but I'm doing my part and looking at it, okay? That already is enough to atone. Nesui Pesha, it removes the Pesha, the worst types of sins and blemishes. Kesui Chata, and it's covered up as a simple Chet now, as which, 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 which what is required at that point is regret. Regret is the, is the, is the medicine, is the is the, what's it called, the formula to fix and forgive a chet. It's the charata, the regret, okay? So this is the koach of the ashray as it relates to the, the idea of keter. And we said many times already, this chapter, Lamed Bet, is the opening chapter of Tehillim that speaks about tshuva. Because of that, it would have made sense that Rabbi Nachman would begin the Tikkun Aklali with this chapter, which opens up with Tshuva. But like we saw last week, he says the prerequisites for a person to do Tshuva, to want to do Tshuva, is he has to have humility. If he doesn't have humility, then there's no way that a person in the world can actually come to do Tshuva, because he's not broken enough. We need the prerequisite of humility. And then this opens the door for the actual tshuva to take place. As long as a person doesn't have humility, forget it. It will never happen. person is haughty and haughty. I'll sin and I'll be okay. I'll sin and be okay. Forget it. 
You have a person who says, I'll do bad things, and I'll say, Tikkun HaKlal, I'll be okay. Also forget it. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. A person has to have the humility to realize, I'm, about Hashem, I'm finished. And it's reality. What can I do? I'm, I'm, I'm trapped and, and a victim of my situation, but I don't want to be in this way. I want to get out. And so such a person has hope. It's like, again, the story of the exchange children. Where in that story, story at number 10, is number 10, I think, yeah, Chacham Betam is number 9, and number 10 is the story of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Bigger Vani, so you're right, so story number 11, story number 11 is exchange children. So in this story, <coughs> the, the real prince, the real son of the king, he, grew, he was exchanged as a child, and he grew up in the house of a slave, a slave family, but uh, like a high class slave of the king, not regular slaves, servants of the king, they're also slaves. But they're a higher class. They dress more appropriate. They have they're, they're, they have to take care of the king and the queen. So they're very upgraded servants. Okay, but still, he's a servant and a slave. Okay, so he he was the son of the king and he was brought up in their house. And then the real son of the slave, who had bad attributes, he found out that he was exchanged. So he did everything to pursue this other man who was the real son of the prince. So they're saying he's the son of the king. He's the real prince, he's the son of the king. Until he managed to get him ex expelled and exiled, his father said, his father's not his real father, said to him, what can I do? You stay here. He's going to keep on attacking and attacking. Now you have to go. And he went and he was so broken. He said to Hashem, what did I do to deserve this? If I'm really the, the king's son, I definitely don't deserve this. And if I'm, if I'm really the servant's son, for sure, for sure, I don't deserve this. So he was so frustrated that what's happened with him is not fair, is not right. So Rabbi Nachman says there, he, he went to go to prostitutes and to get drunk and he fell. And he fell, but every, after he fell, he had regret again. What am I, he said like this, even if Hashem did this to me, still was it proper and right to do what, I, what I've done? So Rabbi Nachman says there in the story that even after having a regret, he would again feel bad about the frustration and would go back again into doing the wrong things. And it's a cycle kept, kept on going on and on again, that he would regret. Still, if Hashem could do this to me, I did the right thing. And again, he would fall again until finally they came to him in a dream, whoever, and they said to him, you want to get out of this? So we're telling you advice. You go to the Yerid, where there's a, what's it called, the Yerid in English? How do you say Yerid in English? Marketplace. Uh, uh, marketplace. And the first offer that's presented to you, take it. So he woke up from the dream. It was a real dream. It took it like a real left impression, but he didn't take it seriously. And the dream kept on coming back to him, and he kept on falling. Even after the dream, he went fall. He would still go to do prostitution and get drunk and everything. But then finally, they said to him, "Listen, you want to get out of the situation? Do as we told you." And then he took it seriously. And then eventually, he got out and became this the actual king. He became again back on the throne. But the point is that even though he kept on falling, he put in those regrets. The breast of us would explain that his charata, the regret, even though he would fall afterwards, the fact that there was regret and regret and then regret, it accumulated, made an impression until eventually he got out. That's the thing also, that a person may do terrible things, but if he has the regret, which is the, which is the key here, the charata, then eventually it adds up and not like people say, what good is your regret? You, anyways, you're not changing. Anyways, you're not getting anywhere. We answer, patience. 
Patience, patience. The fact that a person has regret is the best thing he can do in the meantime. There's no other antidote to help that person. This is the greatest thing he can do is to have regret. Eventually, enough regret is activated to save a person and to help him to get out of Hashem. This is now the power of the Keter also. That I see it, but I have nothing to hold on to. Okay? I, the Keter is, I'm looking up at Hashem. Hashem, help me. I don't want to be like this. Okay? But it's... And, it's unreachable. What do you have in your hand afterwards? After being like that, you go back to regular life. Now this, nothing is like, the person himself feels, what did I gain? What did I gain? But the fact is that he looks at the Keter and he's just looking at it. He can't grasp it. He looks towards it and people tell him, you're just wasting your life, wasting your time. You're not doing anything. You're not changing. It's not going to happen. You're, you're finished. You're an addict or whatever. But the person is always looking at the Keter and the looking gives him aspiration for hope, gives him the feeling of having the charata, right? Kesui ashrei nesui pesha ashrei is what transforms the pesha into just to be covered up as a chet, where just regret is what's needed. Eventually, it, it, it pays off, and the keter turns the karet into the keter. It turns it into the keter. This is the power of this unbelievable chapter, okay? So the David Maskil, in lesson 205, Rabbi Nachman brings this verse. All of a sudden, it, out of everything that he, that he uh, says, he throws in this teaching. He says, L'David Maskil, which is Tehillim. You hear that? All of Tehillim, Rabbi Nachman calls the David Maskil, through Tehillim, by activating the Tehillim called the David Maskil. Ashrei, so then Ashrei, the power of Keter is activated. And it's Nesui Pesha. It lifts up, removes the Pesha, and covers it up as a Chata'a. So it all fits in an amazing way. That the Ashray is, you have your eyes on the right perspective. That's the whole message here of the Tshuva. You're returning. Where are you returning to? I don't know. <laughs> so what are you wasting your time? I'm not. I'm looking at the Keter. I'm looking high. I'm looking at high hopes. Keter also is that when everybody tells you there's no hope and you have a feeling that there's hope, you don't know how. It's like, for example, Mordechai and Esther. Mordechai, in the story of Purim, he knew, Rav Nosen says, he knew there was going to be a salvation. He had no idea how. And all the odds were against him. But he knew there was going to be hope. And we're telling him, what hope, Mordechai? It's signed. All the Jews are going to be killed. Men, women, children. The Jewish people are talking about Mordechai. You're wasting your time. What are you telling us to do? Tshuva and crowd. And he says, yes, it's going to be accepted. What are you Everything's against us. Haman's already sharpening the swords. The Midrash says that he and his men, they were sharpening swords to already kill all the school children who came to be Mordechai and was teaching about, this, about the, the Minchat Omer, the Korban Mincha. They were getting ready to sharpen their knives and everything to kill all the children first. They wanted to make a very strong impression on the Jewish people in Shushan, Chasishalom, right? So the Jews were in such panic and such futility and like such Yehush, God forbid. And they're telling Mordechai, what do you see? He said, I see there's hope. How? I don't know. So the Rav Nosson would say, Mordechai knew there was going to be a salvation. He had no idea from where. This is Keter. You see? It's also by Avram Avinu. Vayar, Rav Nosson says, Vayar merachok, by the by the story of the Akedah, it says, and Avraham saw from far. What does it mean he saw from far? Pshat, Rashi says, he saw the mountain that Hashem was telling him from far. But there's many Midrashim. Rav Nosen says, Avraham Avinu, 
has a contradiction. Hashem tells him that through Yitzhak you're going to have the future Jewish people and I'm telling you to go and offer as a sacrifice Yitzhak. It's a contradiction. So how does he resolve it? By Vayat HaMemarachok. From far, which is Idif Keter, that's very far, I see the salvation. I see, even though I'm doing something which is so contradictory, I see that I'm not taking my son to offer him as a sacrifice. And at the same time, it says, from this son, you have all the children. He's not even married yet. What children? What? I'm, I'm not on the way to offer him, right? So how, do, how is it resolved? The Renosan says, is that you're seeing from far. Sight from far is the light of Keter. That's what keeps a person in tuned and to have hope. There's an amazing story I like telling over, and it's always important to say the story again. There was a wrestler, his name was Rav Moshe Dov Rosenfeld. He was the one who brought Rabbeinu's chair, to, Rabbi Nachman's chair to Eretz Yisrael. He smuggled it in, in the lining of many suitcases, he cut up the chair into pieces of wood, right, and, very, and put it in the lining, because he was scared that the KGB and everyone there would give him problems. So he put it in the lining of many suitcases and brought it to Eretz Yisrael. This Moshe Dov Rosenfeld, at the beginning of the communist uh, regime, whatever, he was very expert in leather, leather tanning and making leather. And he had a very unique ability because it was something which was not so not, like, well experienced in, in Russia at the time. So they needed him. And, and because they needed him, they couldn't, like everyone else that didn't like, they just killed. The, they say Stalin killed up to 50 million people. 50 million citizens of Russia was killed by Stalin, okay? So anyone they just didn't like, that's it. You know, they give the, the hint and they, the person's taken away to Siberia or whatever and they don't, you know, you never hear from the person again. But him, they needed him because he was such an expert in running the factory of the Soviet, the, the communist government for leather tanning. So they, they couldn't do away with him. And that meant that he could be, ex- exercise his Judaism freely. So he walked around with a big beard, payas, a religious Jew, just as a religious Jew, in Kremenchug, in the, in the eastern Ukraine, and uh, working in this factory, and they need him, right? So they waited until he trained enough young people to be as good as him. When that time arrived, they said, now we have no need for this Moshe Dov, let's, let's, let's do away with him. So they put false accusations on him that he's doing things which are, what's it called, anti, what's the term they use, anti-government, anti, there's a word in English, anti-something. Treason. No, no, there's a good word. So people were very against the, the, the Russian government, the communist government, the anti-something, if what I say, whatever. There's a term, it'll come to mind, okay? Anti-convention, there's, there's a word in English, whatever, okay. So they, they found openings and excuses to put him in jail, and they put him in a jail in a village not so far from Berdachev, okay? He got to this jail, and all the Jews who were in the prison, and they were the majority of the people in the prison, they already shaved off their beard and peyot and no kipot, and they already gave up on Yiddishkeit. And they were eating the pork that they were feeding them in the jail and everything. And for Jews who fell off the path, the biggest incitement is when they see another Jew who's still religious trying to hold on. When they see that, they do everything to attack that person because they can't stand that. So Moshe Dov gets to the prison with his beard. They don't shave off the beard. because uh, At least that they didn't do. They didn't shave off his beard in Paris. So he was in the beard with his devotions and his Jewish religious expression. And they're all telling him, Moshe Dov, you're going to fall like we all fell. Don't worry, it's going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. 
And he, being a breast liver, was doing it both the dude like crazy and davening and davening. Please don't me fall into the hands of Yehush, of getting up like all these Jews to help change them. I can't, but don't let them influence me. So came time, Purim time, a month before Pesach, and they started attacking him. Moshe Dov, in Pesach here, there's only chametz. What are you going to do? Seven days, not eat? How are you going to do? You're going to have to eat chametz on Pesach. And for him, that was his weak point. To eat chametz on Pesach was from the killer. He said, I have news for you. I'm not going to be here. And they said, what makes you so sure about that that you're not going to be here? He says, because I can never in my life eat chametz on Pesach, so I know Hashem won't put me in the test that I can't handle. So I'm telling you, I won't be here. They said, we'll see about it. So a week passes, Moshe Dov, another three weeks. What are you going to do? He said, you'll see. And he didn't know how. He had no clue what's going to happen. And he was just davening Hashem, please save me, show me. how." Am I, I, but to say that was a contradiction. You're still in jail. And to say you're not going to be here. So finally, a week before Pesach, and they're warning him and telling him, Moshe Dov, what, what are you going to do? Erev Pesach. Erev Pesach in the morning. No Moshe Dov. And he was crying. He said, I'm not going to be here. And they started all laughing. All the Jews, they're making a joke out of him, a laughing stock, because they're already Erev Pesach. He might as well just give up. Noontime, the wardens come to his cell with a, with a blank expression. They open the door. They said, we just got orders from the Kremlin to let you out. You're free to go. <laughs> they opened the door, opened the jail. His concern is to get on time before Yom Tov to a Jewish community for Pesach. So he ran quickly, ran to Berdichev. He got there with Hadakat Nerot, you know everything. He got to the shul there where the Jewish people were, and he was taken care of. They said there, Pesach, two days, Yom Tov Rishon, Yom Tov Sheni, they gave him, they got him money to get a, a train ticket, and he came home with a big surprise to his family on Cholamued. Okay, this is Keter. This is the light of Keter. You see something from far, doesn't make sense. How's it going to happen? In other words, I have Karet on one side, and I'm expecting the Keter, the crown on the other side. It's two opposites here, right? So, so <clears throat> what's going on here is that that this is the light of Keter. That it's not graspable. I can't grasp it. And yet, it's there. This is activated by the nigun called Asher. Okay? Also, Hanukkah is... Um, it's what? It's the light of Ein Sof. Right. To see them. You can't have a physical Hanukkah from the light. It's just to see. What did you get from it? Nothing. You just saw it. And that's the light of hope. Chazak So now, another thing. This is something very, very powerful. Okay? <clears throat> the Gemara says there's two verses that contradict each other, okay? One verse, which is this verse, the David Maskil, Ashrei Nesui Pesha Kesui Chata'a. I forget the name of the Tana of the Amora, but they say from this verse you learn that if a person sinned, he should not make it public knowledge. If it's not public knowledge, don't reveal it because it makes a chidun Hashem. When word gets out that a certain Jewish people sinned and blemished, it degrades God's honor. It's a degradation of Hashem's honor. So don't spread it. Okay? So it's in the verse. Ashrei, fortunate is the person, who's nesui pesha, who lifts his sin up, but how? In the format of kesui chata'ah. 
he covers up his sin. When it comes time to do tshuva, he doesn't tell it over. And in fact, that's in Hilchot Tshuva. It's also a beautiful letter written by Rav Moshe Feinstein to somebody who opened up all their past. And he said to that person, I'm very happy that you told me about your past, but in the future, don't do this again because it's not necessary. You didn't know. So now I'm letting you know that uh, your tshuva is mainly to confess in front of Hashem. It's not necessary to confess in front of a Torah scholar, which you thought. But then the, the whole, there's a the whole thing in the Gemara. Rabbeinu says, What type of sins? Okay, so there, there is an area for that. I remember there was a beautiful resolution. I forgot it. They spoke about when it's applicable and it's not. It's a, but they say, in general, a person should not reveal his sins. Okay? Don't reveal them. That's what's known here. Because like Rashi says, it causes, it causes a chilul Hashem, a desecration of Hashem's name. So in the Gemara, they say, but one second, this contradicts another verse from Mishlei, which reads, Mechaseh fesha'av lo yatzliach umodeh ve'ozev yerucham. Mechaseh fesha'av, somebody who covers up his Peshaim, his serious sins, lo yatzliach won't succeed. He has to reveal it. Umodeh, someone who confesses, ve'ozev, and now stops doing the sin, the, the blemish, Yerucham will have compassion. So the Gemara asks, you say on one hand, don't reveal, and on the other hand, another verse says, yes, reveal. So the Gemara offers a few answers. One answer is, one is talking about the sin that was done publicly. So since it was done publicly, and it's already public knowledge that the person had a bad past and everything, so such a person should confess and reveal. That's the verse from Mishlei that he should he should confess that he's because anyways they knew that he was a sinner okay and the one is talking about this verse don't let people know it's things you did between you and God no one knows about no one was involved it was only me and Hashem and I did certain sins so now that and that is, is, is this verse another explanation okay and here the, the verse on Mishlei that you should reveal your sin is ben adam lechavero things you did to another human being, another person, okay? And this verse here in, in the Tehillim, which is Ashrei Nesui Pesha Kesilchata'a, don't reveal it, is about ben adam lemakom, okay? Now watch this. The question is now, with Pegam Abrit, what is it? What category is Pegam Abrit? Is Pegam Abrit ben adam lemakom? We ask that because the covenant is between us, the Jewish people, and Hashem. Hashem made a covenant of Abraham Avinu, which involves circumcision, which involves all the laws of guarding the covenant, which makes the Jewish people unique, in that we have all the laws of Arayot, forbidden relations, forbidden activities. That's part of the covenant between us and, the Jew, uh, us and Hashem. Hashem's covenant of the Jewish people is that we have a high status of holiness and purity that is not found by the nations. Okay? So it's Ben Adam Lamakom. Or is it Ben Adam Lechavero? Because in actuality, when a person blemishes the covenant, there's wasted seed. And the seed are neshamot, are Jewish souls. And God forbid, when there's a blemish here, these souls are taken to the klipa, are taken to the tuma. They're trapped. He says, Rabbeinu, in lesson 141, they become demons. They become mazike alma. They become, uh, what's it called, damaging 
and devastating forces of, 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 of evil. You hurt them now. You cause damage to your fellow Jew. These are neshamot. They're the holy sparks of Jewish neshamot. So what is Pgamabrit? Is it Ben Adam Lemakom? Or Ben Adam Lechavero? Or both, okay? So it seems that it's both. It's Ben Adam Lemakom. It's between a man and God. Because that's our covenant. And also cause damage to these seeds, these children. Like Rabbi Nachman quotes the Zohar, he brings that lesson in, the, in, the, in Lesson 141, that God forbid uh, a man who blemished his covenant, so when he passes away and there's the Leviah, so he doesn't have just his children following the body, the beer, but the millions and millions of souls that were emitted by this man intentionally also follow the grave. This is the reason the custom is in Yerushalayim and other places who follow the Zohar, that when the father passes away, no children follow the body of the father. Why? Because if, God forbid, I am allowed to follow the body of my father, so then the other children, which are not human beings, which are just demons, souls, they, you know, if I follow, they say, we're also going to follow. But if we don't, if the human beings refrain, so then there's no room to allow the other souls, God forbid, to follow. It's the biggest shame for a father when he's followed by these millions of souls. It's the biggest shame. Right? So to not, to not let that happen, the custom is, based on the Zohar, and it's the custom in Yerushalayim, that the children don't follow the body of the father. The mother is different, but it's by the father, because wasted seed is by the, by the father. But we see that there is ben adam lemakom, ben adam lechavira. So, so the resolution is also, this is the power of the tikkun aklali. Because Rabbeinu is saying here, ashrei, the power of ashrei, which is the keter, which turns karet, cutting off, into keter, a crown. Okay, nesui pesha. It lifts up the pesha. The verse in Mishnah reads again, mechase pesha'av. Someone who covers up his pesha, which is the worst type of scenario, which is worse than merit, intentional sins. This is rebellious sins. Someone who covers up, he has to reveal them, okay? So, mechase pesha'av, ashrei, the power of activating Ashrei is that it lifts up the Pesha of Mishle. It lifts up the Pesha that you should have been obligated to confess openly. Ashrei is so strong that it turns, even though there was Ben Adam Lechavero, even though seed was wasted, children were damaged, there was damage done to them, and they have something against the Father for the rest of their existence, that you caused damage to me. Ashrei has the power to fix that damage, to restore them to the side of holiness. Nesui Pesha, there's no longer Ben Adam Lechavero, and it's only Ben Adam Lemakom. And if it's Ben Adam Lemakom, all that's needed is Kesui Chata'a. It's covered up as a chet, where all you do is confess quietly between you and HaKadosh Baruch. That's how it's resolved, okay? All this is the power of Ashrei. With all this, we're beginning to understand, because I'm trying to see if it's possible that there was a typo error in Rav Nossin's prayer on the Tikkun HaKlali. Because we know the Seder, again, we're bringing this up again and again. The Seder of the ten types of song is first as Ashrei, and then there's Bracha. Rabbeinu switches the order. He puts first Bracha, and then Ashrei. Because Ashrei makes sense. It should be the beginning point, because Ashrei is the Keter. Ashrei turns Karet into Keter. Ashrei is the secret of Tshuva. That should be the opening point. Right? It should be the starting point. But we see Rav Nosin, and Rav Nosin, he lists it as the beginning point. But again, Rabbeinu wanted to teach us that humility is needed. That's the prerequisite to get Ashrei. You need Bracha, Bina, 
to be activated to activate the light of the Keter. In our terms, uh, he writes that Rabbeinu himself, Nachman, Nachman is the Moach of Nun. He's the intellect of Nun, which is the 50th level of Bina, Dafka. Okay? Moach Nun. Nosen, he's called Natan, he writes also Rabbi Nachman. He's, all, he's the Tav. The word Tav in Hebrew, there's a found in the book of Yechezkel, I think. Vihitvita Tav. You should make an etching. Rashi says it's Chakika. When you want to etch something, so in Hebrew you can say Chakika and also Tav, which is the letter Tav. Okay? Rav Nosen is called Tav Nun. His letter is Natan. You have Nun, Tav Nun. So you have Tav Nun. Moach Nun, the, 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 the intellect of Nun, that's the, this Rabbi Nachman, it's this Tzadik. And the disciple Nosen, he receives the etching of this Tzadik. He's called Tav Nun. Okay? And we said, Nosen is hinted to in the first word of the Tikkun HaKlali. Nichtam is Gematria 500, right? So it seems, Rabbeinu put Bracha in front of Ashrei to show us that humility is the key to activating. The goal is to get Ashrei. The goal is to get the Keter. But you need the humility, which is Bina, the attitude of Bina, in order to come to Ashrei. But Rav Nosen, who knew the real order, but the real beginning starts of Ashrei. It started retroactively once Bracha is activated, then we have Ashrei. But the real seder of things is that Bracha doesn't take place until, uh, sorry, Ashrei doesn't take place until it is activated by the idea of Bracha. That's what it seems. Again, all this is squeezing, but this seems to be Bezat Hashem, the insight on that. So this is just a few things hinted to in this chapter. One more thing that the Arizal points out. The Arizal points out, he says like this, in this chapter 32, Al-Tiyu Kesus Kefered En Havin Don't be like a horse and like a mule who doesn't understand, doesn't have Bina. And they put the thing in his mouth, the, the chaka, whatever it's called, the meteg, there's the, the, the pins and the bar, so he doesn't bite. So she didn't come close to you and bite you, okay? So the Arizal points out that believe it or not, of all the types of animals, the sus and the parrot are the most immoral. Can you believe the Arizal makes a statement? <clears throat> the most immoral animals are the horse and the parrot. The Gemara says many things about us, a horse, that when they go out to war for a horse, the horse has in his head the opposite of what it should be. When, when, uh, when the, the horse goes out to war, his concern is that his rider should fall off so he can mate with other horses, okay? When you dress up the horse, he starts panicking. He thinks that you want to shecht him or something. You're trying to ordain, you know, when there's a parade, trying to dress up the horse. So the horse thinks the opposite. What are you dressing me up? What are you going to do to me now? So he's refraining to be dressed up. The Gemara lists a few things that the, the horse does, which are not positive things. And one of the things is that it's a very immoral animal, okay? So Arizal points out, don't be like a, a horse and a mule, which is immoral. Bemeteg, that's bet. Varesen, that's Vav. Edyo is Ayn. Livlom is That's Boel. Boel. In other words, to be too frequent in having relations like a horse and a mule. Okay, that's what our result points out. 
And he says, don't, don't be like that, because this can lead easy to the, to the Padam Rabbi. But just mentioned in this chapter, Vezat Hashem, that's what we see in, the, in 32. We basically covered uh, this chapter. You see other types of song mentioned it. Maskil, Ashrei, right? Ashrei Adam lo Hashem lo Avon. Right? Fortune is the person through Ashrei. A man, Hashem doesn't consider the person sin. Everything is, is cleaned already. Unbelievable. And then it ends... Simchu Bashem, Vegiru Tzadikim, have the Simcha, and we rejoice in the Tzadikim, and Rina, we finish off with Simcha. How are we doing with time? We're okay with time here? Bezat Hashem. I think we'll stop here, because it's already full, and Bezat Hashem, we'll continue with the third chapter. But this is the power of the ten types of song. They activate these Tikkunim. You have to realize, when you're saying the chapter that corresponds to Ashrei, it's activating this light of Keter. Keter is the sight. That's what gives the power to fix this damage. It's unbelievable when you think about it, how far-reaching it is, Bezat Hashem. We should be zochet to say, Tikkun of Kali, Bezat Hashem, like we're supposed to.